0: Welcome to the iConnect with Baxter Canada podcast. This is where we connect with healthcare providers from various clinical settings to learn more about how they are leading through innovation, protocol development, and integration of evidence to provide excellent clinical care to their patients. Join the conversation with your hosts from Medical Affairs at Baxter Canada. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of iConnect with Baxter Canada podcast. My name is Michelle DeGloria. I am a registered nurse and a medical science liaison supporting medication delivery at Baxter Canada, and I will be your host for this episode. As always, our goal is to bring you interesting and relevant topics that influence your day to day practice as a clinician. Today, I am joined by Dr. Kevin Hansen, who will be discussing the use of IV insulin. Kevin, I'll pass it over to you, and you can give us a brief introduction of
1: yourself. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I am uh, currently in my role as the pharmacy director of compounding services um, here in the United States, and um, in a hospital health system and have the great opportunity of overseeing compounding, both sterile and non-sterile compounding, um, for a multitude of hospitals, but that also includes over 10 cleanroom suites, um, and continuing to get involved Uh, more in health system-related compounding, automation and technology, and really focused on patient safety Um, and a strong advocate uh, for the use of ready-to-administer products uh, that are available on the market really to promote um, patient safety. So uh, excited to be here and uh, appreciate you having me and excited to discuss this topic.
0: Amazing. Thank you for joining us. Um, and one of the reasons why we connected with Kevin was really to talk about a publication that you wrote that was published by Pharmacy Purchasing and Products in October of 2020. And you really talked about review, of re- you provided a great review of Mixredolin which is a premix um, insulin for in- intravenous use. During our discussion today, I want to learn more about your experience with the use of Mixredolin and your recommendations to other organizations who are interested in exploring this as an option for the delivery of intravenous insulin. So, to begin, I'd like to know what are the advantages for an organization who may be considering the use of a ready to use IV premix?
1: Sure, that'd be a great place to start. When we think about these ready to administer uh, premixes that are on the market, Really, it's in that word, a, a ready to administer, meaning it's it's not going to require any type of additional manipulation, compounding, um, adding medications or additives to it at the bedside, um, you know, concerns about researching stability and maintaining uh, sterility through the use of beyond use states. Um, these ready to administer products essentially eliminate all of that. So, really, your advantages are taking out all the steps where something could go wrong. Mm -hmm. And really, um, as ISMP or the Institute of Safe Medication Practices would state, is that ready-to-administer products are the safest products that we can offer to our patients. Uh, Further, they've been evaluated um, by uh, an agency that has looked at the safety and efficacy and the stability um, of that product, as opposed to uh, preparing that or compounding that uh, we know that we're using conservative beyond-use states. Uh, we may not have all of the information uh, from a stability perspective and certainly not running sterility tests on these patient-specific preparations. So we have an increased level of confidence that these products are, are stable, uh, they're, they're safe uh, with the intended use, and that they're sterile um, as labeled under those storage conditions. Um, and so there's distinct advantages there. Uh, next, really, when we think about all the steps involved with compounding and preparing uh, intravenous uh, medications is the time, resources, training, competency evaluation that comes with that. When you have a ready-to-administer product, um, none of that needs to be performed. Um, so you can save your organization a lot of those resources um, or really think about redeploying those to to other things that could be Certainly, the personnel labor, labor, the supplies involved, thinking about all of the garb and supplies and syringes and alcohol swabs that are used in compounding, um, we, you don't have to do that for these types of ready to administer products. And so uh, that's really the distinct advantage of just having something right from a manufacturer that's ready to administer and having that increased confidence that you have something that's safe to administer to your patient.
0: And I think that's interesting. When you mention a couple of those points, when I look at the training and the responsibility that comes with ad mixing, and I know from my previous experience at the bedside, a lot of this ad mixing was done by the nurses on the unit um, without the benefit of sterile hoods and everything else that certainly goes into pharmacy preparation. And I also am very aware of all of the potential issues that can happen We know that you mentioned personnel and the resources. We know that health human resources right now are at an all-time desperation for new people because we just cannot fill positions. So I think, again, when you're looking at all of these other factors, that certainly should come into consideration. When we look at ad mixing at the bedside, what do you foresee as the biggest benefit to using a ready-to-use or ready-to-administer product?
1: Sure, um, and specifically for this conversation, is around insulin. Uh, mm-hmm. So we know that uh, insulin is is a protein uh, product. Um, it's also a medication that's a high alert um, product, as identified by ISMP. Um, we know that you know um, a, a dose of insulin at you know the wrong dose given to the wrong patient um, could cause severe harm or, or even death. And so that's why we have this term of this high alert. Um, to to this product. Um, and so making a, a, an infusion of insulin at the bedside, we think about you know withdrawing you know really small volumes of insulin and making it to a specific concentration um, because these are titratable infusions, right? So we have to be concerned about creating a very accurate uh, concentration of of how many, you know units of insulin per milliliter um, and really targeting that that standardized concentration of one unit per milliliter and at the bedside that can be really challenging to do um, especially when you have you know staffing or, or you know um, other shortages and so uh, you know isMP recommends for these high alert medications of uh, certainly during compounding is that if you don't have technology as part of the process whether that's barcode scanning, um, you know, volumetric cameras, uh, gravimetrics uh, to, to confirm the volume is each of the volumes that you're, you're adding to the bag need to be independently verified mm-hmm. uh, prior to be adding. So now we're not only talking about the resources of a nurse preparing this, but we're actually talking about now pulling another nurse in to, to double check all of the steps before giving it to that patient. And that can be very challenging um, in, in the field. And so having a ready-to-administer product uh, like this mixed redline insulin infusion, is it eliminates that. Um, You're taking those those steps that are risky and you're eliminating those. And so if you reduce opportunities for harm, you are going to reduce those chances for harm um, as well.
0: One of the other things that I found was really interesting in your publication was When you talk really about the concentration and we know that the standard uh, dosing for IV insulin is one-to-one and I think what is often missed or neglected, especially in bedside admixing, is the fact that there is always overfill in, in any IV container that is used. I'm wondering if you could chat a little bit about what the potential is when you are not using the standard concentration when you, I mean... You believe you are, but when you consider the overfill volume, what does that mean to patient care and patient safety?
1: Yeah, that's an excellent question. Um, And so really that this uh, idea of this overfill, right? So we take a a fluid bag of 0.9% sodium chloride for injection bag that is labeled as 100 milliliters. Well, it's common that manufacturers will add uh, a certain amount of overfill uh, to these types of fluid bags and containers, and we really think about um, why that is, right? And it's to ensure that that labeled amount can actually be administered to the patient. So if you have 100 mils exactly, we think about the losses in the in the lines and in the tube sets. Um, And so some additional overfill is needed to ensure that you can obtain that full amount. So that's great if you're administering just a plain fluid bag. It's not great when it comes to determining uh, and calculating accurate concentrations for compounding. And so um, oftentimes this fluid overfill is, is not known. Uh, the exact amount within that specific lot is not known. The manufacturers do provide a range. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, a particular manufacturer of, of a 100 mil bag uh, says that it will contain anywhere between 105 and 115 milliliters, right? So you have really a 5% deviation to a 15% deviation. And when you're coming to compound that, you know, you're looking at the products, there's nothing in front of you that tells you how much actual overfill is within that bag. And so, you know, you have a few different options is, you know, you don't account for it. And then your final concentration is actually more dilute than you're labeling it, right? If there's more than 100 mils in there and you only add 100 units of insulin to the bag, you are now going to have a concentration that's, that's sub or less than uh, one unit per mill which can become very difficult and challenging from a clinical scenario when you're titrating these medications and you're thinking your patient is getting a certain amount of insulin when really they're, they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the opportunity of maybe you try to account for that. And, well, how much of that overfill do you remove? Do you remove the lower end? Do you remove a median or average? Do you remove the top end? And so that becomes really, really challenging. Uh, the, really the only way accurately to compound this is to actually measure all of the ingredients. So you would basically start with an empty bag, draw out and measure, you know, 99 milliliters of sodium chloride, uh, for, for injection, measure out your 1 ml of insulin and add that. Well, now we're talking multiple steps, multiple opportunities for contamination and air, and additional time that just does not exist. And so it, it is common that most folks would be preparing this, trusting that those bags labeled as 100 mils are, are 100 milliliters. And so it really needs to be factored in as this the complexity of these medications that have, you know, narrow therapeutic indexes or ones that, you know, could cause harm if given too much um, or not enough. And insulin is one of those products.
0: And I think you you call out some really good points there about the added workload and the added resources and the added opportunity for a mistake to happen or for contamination to occur, which ultimately then will impact patient safety. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the best approach for organization, any organization who's considering potentially bringing something like mixed redolin into their pharmacy onto their formulary, should they be looking at the pharmacoeconomic side of it, the patient safety side of it? Does it all come together as uh, something that should be weighted equally in their consideration, or what would you suggest?
1: Yeah, I have a few um, suggestions to consider. Um, one certainly is understanding the economics of, of ready-to-administer products. Um, they are more expensive than compared to just looking at the drug cost of that 100 ml bag plus the 1 ml of insulin. Right. Um, but I think it's important that we're doing a fair comparison, right? If you're just comparing drug cost to the drug cost, yes, it's going to be different. However, for all of the things that we talked about, for, for the time, the resources, all of the energy that needs to be put in. And we didn't even talk about the impact of when you do have an error and you, you know, have wastage or you have an error and you harm a patient, the extreme costs associated with that, right? And so you have to make sure that you factor those in whenever you're doing that economic analysis. We really call it that full pharmacoeconomic, you know, impact, not just drug to drug. And so certainly would look at that if that's a concern about looking at the pricing of of some ready-to-administer products is that you have to see what it's offsetting. And so we do those those types of analyses within our organization. And for every product that we've looked at, um, not only just this product that we're discussing today, the value equation has always been in the favor of these ready-to-administer products. And I, I mentioned waste. Let me, let me dive into that um, um, as well. And, uh, so when we have these ready to administer products from a manufacturer, it's really in their best interest to make sure that they have a very stable compound that they're, uh, dispensing and are selling, I should say. And, um, and that they have stability studies to back that up. And that can be very advantageous when we think about our operational strategies about how we have this be beneficial for the clinicians, but also the patient. We have to keep our patient at the center of this. Mm-hmm. So these, um, insulin, Uh, infusions, uh, ready-to-administer products, um, can actually be stored in the refrigerator long-term, and that's how you get the expiration date that's listed. However, the company has also studied it to be stored at room temperature, and I believe this product that's coming out in Canada is going to be room temperature stable for 25 days when it's removed um, from the refrigerator. And so that's pretty unprecedented. When we think about a lot of these uh, areas where we take care of our patients, have either limited access to refrigeration or, in some cases, no refrigeration at all, and that leads to very non, um, you know, ideal dispensing workflows. And so, if we can have a room temperature stable um, solution that's ready to administer. Think about the the new areas where these could be stored. You know, placing them into your emergency rooms and areas where time to to starting that that product for that patient um, can can really improve those clinical outcomes is is uh, paramount. And so, um, you know, factoring that in, in addition to. Um, waste, You know, depending on your current operation, if you're making these in advance of the patient coming in or the advanced need, and then maybe it's not used. Well, if it's not compounded or prepared inside of a primary, primary engineering control, like a hood inside of a clean room, it's going to have to be wasted um, um, if it's not used within a very short time period. And so, when we think about these ready-to-administer products, since we're not accessing the container, we can maintain the sterility, and those could actually be used um, for another patient if it was, you know, taken out and used for a patient. Not used, you know, it can be placed back into inventory for for future use within either that 25 days at room temp or through the expiration date um, in the refrigerator. So that, that brings about just a lot of, of operational strategy considerations that you wouldn't have if you were to only um, uh, compound this, this product. So certainly looking at that when you're thinking about implementing this within your organization is how can this maximally benefit the patient from the storage of this within your facility.
0: Yeah, I think you bring up some really great points and I think we have all been in different uh nursing units, pharmacy areas where you think oh boy, there is not room for one more single thing in this tiny tiny little refrigerator that we have or sometimes even on in the Omnicell or Pixis machine that's being used. So I think you make some really very valid points about um the storage, the ability to handle it, how it's handled and how it can be handled differently also very valid considerations. I'm curious, when you look at your own organization and your own experiences, would you say that the, the ratio of um, ready-to-use admixtures is too compounded? Do you tend to lean heavily on the ready-to-use formulations of various medications, or is it is it a general mix?
1: Yeah, gr- great question. So instead of thinking of it um, um, from a ratio perspective, we actually look at it and say, what are all of the ready-to-administer products that are available? And are we using them, yes or no? And if not, and it's available, why not? Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes it could be potentially a space limitation if you have this in your automated dispensing cabinet. So there's certainly some additional considerations um, there, but, th- but it would need to be a compelling reason for us to not use a ready-to-administer product because of all the benefits that, that we've seen. Uh, the more of these products that you use, Um, We even track our our safety events. Um, Before, when you have compounding, there's a lot of opportunities for error. And as long as you have humans in the mix, errors will happen. And so when we started administering these ready-to-administer premixes, we really saw those error rates drop dramatically. And and the other benefit or safety benefit that we hadn't talked about on these products is that they contain a barcode. And that barcode identifies exactly what the product is and uh, can be scanned and identified in the electronic health record to say, yes, this is actually insulin for infusion, one unit per mil. When we think about it in a compounding perspective, especially at the bedside, a lot of the compounding technology may or may not be accessible um, or available Um, And so when we think about what is the opportunity of grabbing the wrong insulin, Mm -hmm. we know there is a multitude of insulins that are on the market. There's short-acting, ultra-short-acting, long-acting. That could be extremely detrimental to uh, the safety and health of a patient if you inadvertently added the wrong type of insulin uh, to a bag and if that was inadvertently infused in that patient. Absolutely. When you have a ready-to-administer premix, you have one barcode, and you know you have high confidence that when that scans and it gives you that green light, that you're actually administering the appropriate um, insulin um, to that patient. And so factoring in those safety considerations that comes with, with ready-to-administer, our approach has been we need to implement all of these or make a strong reason case for why we are either holding off temporarily or... Or or a timeline, right, a timeline to implement the ones that we we don't have. So we in our organization have been strong advocates for the use of these types of products.
0: This has been an amazing conversation. And I always like to end by asking my guest what the top three recommendations for healthcare organizations would be if they're interested in adding mixed redolent to their pharmacy formulation.
1: Yeah, I I think that's a, a great, a great question. And so, specifically when we're talking about mixed redlin, a few things, um, you know, into recap is that I would focus on is look at your current reported error rates for insulin errors and take a look at that and ask yourself in your organization, are you comfortable with this uh, level of errors that are occurring? And also to note that this is likely a voluntary uh, reporting of these errors to know that. Um, likely the amount of errors that are actually occurring is probably significantly more than what's being reported. And so taking a look at that, and uh, if you move forward with implementing this product, I would track and trend that to see if you see an impact on those reported errors. And I think um, you'll be pleasantly surprised to see that those errors will be essentially eliminated uh, from from that standpoint. And so uh, definitely looking at that and understanding what is your current state of your safety profile for, for insulins. Um, Next I would consider um, is evaluating the, the impact of the operations and and speaking to folks that are involved in it, whether it's being uh, prepared uh, at, you know, by nursing at the bedside um, and, or, or is it being done in pharmacy and looking at the safe practice recommendations by ISMP, if you either have or don't have technology to see, are we following the safe practice recommendations for the use of a high alert medication for compounding? And if the answer is no, what what would we need to do to actually put ourselves in a safer role, or would it make more sense to uh, move forward and buy a ready to administer um, product? And lastly, put the patient at the center and think about if you were a patient that needed this infusion and you were coming into the emergency room and had a pretty urgent need for this, um, would you want to have this come from another location or pharmacy or whatever that delay may be, or a nurse gathering all the supplies to go ahead and to prepare this, or would you rather have this stable, uh, you know, ready to administer product that can be taken out of inventory and that that infusion started pretty immediately? Um, and so, thinking through the, those recommendations, I think it makes a pretty compelling case to consider, you know, adding a premix ready to administer insulin infusion to, to your formulary.
0: All amazing points. I want to thank you, Kevin, for joining me today. It's been an amazing discussion and I know that our listeners will find great value in this. One of the things that I will do is add the link to your publication, your um, article that I referenced earlier in the bottom of the show notes so that people can go there and, and have a read of it. And I want to just end by saying thank you so much.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for for having me. I was happy to share my experiences and hope you found it helpful. So thank you very much.
0: Great. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks for listening to today's episode. To listen to more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe to ensure you always receive notification. Please reach out to us by email if you have any questions, comments or feedback. We look forward to having you back with us next time. Thank you for joining us for the episode of I Connect with Baxter. All of the opinions and experiences expressed in this episode are those of the guest speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Baxter Canada. If there are other areas of interest you would like to see included on future podcasts, please email those to iConnect at Baxter.com.